Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm here with uh, one of my greatest and oldest friends, Dave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, I have to also say this. I've been friends with Dave since we were, I would say, four years old. Uh, We went to the same nursery school together, um, and there were three Davids in the class. There was me, him, and this other David whose last name began with an R. And me and this Dave have the same last initial, M. Am I allowed to say that? Or does that ruin everything? So he became David M. The other David became David R. And somehow they started calling me Davey. And I don't know how that even happened. I forgot that that was the origins of Davy. Yeah, I don't because couldn't. We couldn't both be David M. Yeah, you know. Why me and why not you? You got lucky. Yeah, you know. That, I think that's why I became a heroin addict is because <laughs> I was called Davy my whole life. I think that was like a huge piece. Do you think that's possible? And I prevailed, and I, I, and you became yeah, you yeah. became an incredible success. <laughs> Which and this episode, see, Dave, out of all my friends. Dave and I were like brothers, and we, we had different hobbies, and we had different sort of interests, but, like, we both came from, like, middle-class, middle-class, middle-class Jewish families in Manhattan. Yeah. Upper West Side versus Chelsea. Chelsea. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah. All right. Please. What, and what, what, do you, what do you think about that? Like, do we, I mean, for me, like, when I think about all of our friends... You and I came from the the closest, uh, the most similar origin out of all of our friends. And not only that, from teachers. Your Mm. parents were teachers. My mom was a teacher. My dad used to be a teacher. It was, and our households were were very different, but at the root, they were very much the same. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it was that old school time in New York where it was straight up middle class, and, and New York was kind of... A middle class place. I mean, there was tons of super rich people, but it still felt kind of like a middle class place back then. And we were like just those kind of Jewish middle class families. Wow. We I and mean, also like our parents like got off on being middle class. Like our whole culture was middle class. Like we both like was your thing rent control or anything? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that was like we like they also had like scams of where they parked the car and like. And like, and we, you know, this place where my dad, where I grew up, uh, we're at my dad's house in Chelsea right now, but it's, uh, you know, it was the International Ladies Garment Workers Union housing built for middle class, lower class Jewish people. Yeah. And, um, and both of our parents were like these liberal, well-educated people who were very concerned about uh, Jewish rights or like, and, and Jewish history and like, you know, like how so much of our families have been killed in the Holocaust and this and that. And, um, but being Jewish had nothing to do with us. You know, we were just Jewish. It just was who we were, not like what we believed or anything. Yeah. And, and it was, I mean, as, as someone who's moved away from New York, I didn't understand until I moved away how important that was to our identity. Just being Jewish, because everyone, there was so many kids who were Jewish. Even our Filipino friend, he was, it was like he was Jewish. He knows all of the, the prayers before the drinking the wine and whatnot. And, and it was just a Jewish culture here. And uh, it's not like that in other places. Well, it's not necessarily like that in a lot of places in Manhattan either. I bet you if you went to like, 
humanities or you went to some like hardcore public school, like the Jewish parents made sure their kids didn't go there. Sure. Our our school was incredibly Asian and incredibly Jewish. Yeah. And the elementary school was incredibly Jewish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was also like it was part of the identity of uh of New York City, it still is. But back then, before all of these different corporate reforms happened and the city changed so much, it was very much a middle, upper class Jewish town. And our school was like this experimental elementary school based on liberal Jewish ideas. Right. Um, and Dave and I became friends when we were super little. And um, it was fun. I think it's worth saying that before the show, we were trying to remember when we actually became friends, and we couldn't really remember. We, we both had Miss Holder in nursery school, so we were in nursery school together. You shouldn't say her name. Uh, I'm sure she's listening. I'm sure Snobby's listening right now. Didn't she pass away? Yes, okay. but she's probably with Chris listening in heaven. Okay. She would definitely be in heaven. And she definitely wouldn't be listening to Dopey. <laughs> um, but, you know, like we were, we were in school together when we were four, but we don't remember any of that. The first thing I remember is when we made this terrarium together with Robbie. I don't know what grade it was, second grade or something in, in Ron's science class. What do you remember about that? I remember being down in the basement and we were working on this terrarium, which I think was largely driven by Robbie. Robbie loved that kind of thing. And you also, I mean, you had fish, so you also... I had terrarium. I had like, I'd have three terrariums at a time in that room. Yeah. I would have a desert terrarium with like anoles and cacti, and then I would have a wetlands terrarium with huge bugs, like millipedes and, and like, and snakes and toads. And then I would, and I would have two fish tanks at once. That whole room, I, I had turtle tanks and fish tanks. And like, I was, that's how me and Robbie became so close in the beginning. It is. And I felt like you guys sort of indoctrinated me into the ways of terrarium life, of terrarium life. And it was great. It was like a new thing for me as a kid. I was into sports before that. And it was fun. to. And get after this. that. And after that. Yeah. That was always my thing. And, and it was fun to get into that. I remember we were down in, in, that remember that basement room mm-hmm. and I remember the girls locker room was right on the other side of that wall so you'd hear girls kind of giggling in the background and that was even in second or third grade somehow that was exciting and uh, that's really all I remember what I remember is that the science teacher I remember he was gay was he gay? He seemed gay to me. Yeah. Maybe that was because he was molesting me, and that's why I became a heroin addict. No, wait. First of all, that's not true. No, not true. Um, but wait, wait. But check this out. I don't think he was gay because there was a rumor about him being gay, and, and there was a rumor that he died of AIDS. Do you remember yeah, that? I do. I know that not to be true because I was a teacher in my 20s, and I went to some like faculty development thing, and the guy who ran it was... Ron was that guy. So you saw him again? I saw him. And what do you have to say for himself? He remembered you, actually. No, he didn't. He didn't remember me, and he remembered you. How did that even happen? Oh, I just, you know, I told him who I was, and he was like, ah. And I was like, yeah, remember me and Dave and Rob? And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember Davey. He's like, yeah, me and Davey used to make out (laughs) near the turtle tank. (laughs) Um, What I remember is that he had like a 70-inch cock. No, he had like a 70-gallon aquarium, 70, like huge aquarium on the floor, and it was like really long and thick. Um, <laughs> Wait, first no. of all, if for some reason this guy is listening, he was a super nice guy. I know he was. Re- he was very, very like gentle. He was and supportive. Yeah, you know, very, very gentle. And supportive. <laughs> oh man! Um, but he, um, 
No, I'm just kidding. I, if he if he molested me, I have no recollection of it. But he had. But it's I why do, you're a heroin addict. But it's probably why I'm a, an heroin addict. But he had a gigantic fish tank on the floor, um, and in the fish tank there was like a mix. There was there was a lot of different fish and a lot of different kinds of fish. And what I what I remember more than anything is that Robbie would take this turtle. And maybe the turtle lived in the tank, and I'm sure Robbie's at home listening to Dopey, like cursing Dopey because we get all the facts wrong. Like he's upset that Jeremy's claimed a, a story that was his, and he's like, I'm sure he's like getting ready to go crazy. I talked to Robbie the other day. He said he's going to come on Dopey and set the record straight on everything. He said Jim never turned into a black woman when he was tripping. It was just Robbie. What? That Jim's stolen Robbie's story. Anyway, what I remember more than anything, and Dopey should not be a show about science and such, but Robbie was so crazy. Cruel to animals that he would take the goldfish, he would wedge them up against the side of the tank by the tail, and he'd have the turtles bite their heads off. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't. I don't, but I can see it. I remember um, that, and I remember that I had... I, this is something that I, I can't get past, and I probably think about this every week. Literally. Every week. Fucking... I had a motorcycle, okay, and it was a motorcycle that was like a toy motorcycle, and on the back of it, it had this helmet, and the helmet had a cord, and you would pull the cord, and it would go, you know, and the wheel would spin. So you go, and you make it go really fast, and then you put it down, and it goes really fast, okay? And it was like, the, it was the best toy I ever owned. And in that science room, we would set up jumps, so it would jump over the stupid turtle tank. I do remember this. And it got lost. Yeah. And I never found it. And I think about this to this day. Definitely in the girls' locker room. Gone. Wow. Gone. It's also worth mentioning that we were talking about this, but I remember when Robbie swallowed one of your goldfish when it was alive. And I got really upset, probably. Yeah. And that's how why, could that's, you do that? That's why he did it. No, but I, I, in my recollection of that, he swallowed it, and I got super upset, and he started laughing hysterically, <laughs> and it popped out when he was laughing into the tank. So it was like, no harm, no foul. That's what I remember. I'm very excited for Rob's to come on and set the record straight and all this. Well, he will set the record straight. Now... The, one of the things that happened, Dave and I grew up together. We were the closest of friends, literally from four. Yeah. You know, uh, Dave was an athlete. He played uh, in Little League. He played in, you know, <clears throat> this thing in New York City called Champions. He pl- you played in Champions. Didn't you? Astros. Whatever. Yeah, he played in Astros. He, 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 was, he was an athlete. I certainly was not. And I wish I had been. You know, I think my life would have been much better if I had been. Um, and my dad loved Dave and like Dave was on the basketball team in um in high school and they would every year they would play in this tournament uh down where I grew up and my dad would go see Dave and when he would come home I would be, I would always say you wish he was your son don't you and he would he would get very upset and I would like to be dramatic about it and um I still say that to him and I think it's true cuz Dave went on to being a very successful doctor and I didn't. I'm a, a pretty successful waiter and podcast host. Um, now, we grew up. We went to elementary school. We went to the same school from when we were four till we graduated high school, which is pretty unusual. And, and we had this tight group of friends with Robbie and Jim and that we stayed friends with the whole time. 
Yeah, and, and we, we had a very tight group of friends that we were all friends with from when we were four till we graduated high school. And, um, and, and beyond, and we're still friends. I mean, this weekend we all got together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Dave actually came out and saw Linda and the baby this weekend, which was super cool. That was great. And, uh, and I went out to Seattle a few years ago and saw Dave's life, and Dave brings his kids home, and, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Anyway, um, as, and I, you know, most, you know, Chris started doing drugs when he was young. I think he was smoking crack when he was 14, like before football practice. He was taking acid when he was 13. He was drinking. I didn't, we, we were an incredibly straight bunch of friends. Um, and we didn't do anything. Like, I don't remember doing anything, not even drinking. Yeah. Like before 10th grade, I don't think any of us had, had gotten drunk even. I mean, maybe we had a Zima ninth grade or something. I don't remember anything. I remember like the first time that I got drunk and I've talked about it on Dopey was at the end of summer camp and I blacked out. I drank like 20 screwdrivers and I blacked out and I started vomiting and, and I was like, I don't like alcohol. And then, and Dave, you would drink like at parties or whatever. It wasn't, um, the first time I ever got drunk was new year's Eve, uh, at, at Sabrina's house at that party. I'd never gotten drunk before that. I think it's also worth saying that this was, for those who are younger in the audience, in the dopey nation, this was a time in New York City, you could go into any bodega, and if you could, if you were tall enough to see over the counter, you could buy beer. There was no, like, checking IDs. It was, it was easy, you know, it wasn't like that was the, the obstacle for us. We were just straight-laced kids until then. We were very straight. We liked to, like, walk around and use our imaginations and make weird movies and play weird pranks and whatever. And, um, but it was very straight, straight, straight stuff. Like, we didn't cause any real trouble for anybody. Although, me, I guess sometimes a couple of us would steal. You would, you know, me and Robbie would always steal. You know, uh, you, Dave was the best of us, I have to say. You were the best of us. I'm not, you can't see it, but I'm nodding my head now. But yeah, we, I mean, we were straight. Kids. You we're know, like- out of all of us, you and Greg were morally way more upright than the rest of us. And um, not that we were so much Maybe, worse. But, like, but no it, one was doing anything too bad, really. Well, not then, exactly. Not, not at that point, early on. Which is, I think, an important note for, for interesting things that developed later. Well, so then after, after like, I realized I couldn't drink, I had started smoking weed. But when did, when did you actually, when was the first time you smoked weed? Had to be eleventh grade, right? Yeah, it was like at a it was like at a party, like it was like a theater party, like uh, after some production was over, I decided to try smoking pot because I couldn't drink, and I was like, I like this, yeah. you know. This I, I said to myself, this is what I'm gonna do at parties, yeah. like because I can't drink, I'm gonna smoke pot. And what what was the feeling like? That first, I don't know if you remember. But I do remember. The first time. I what felt, did you actually feel? I felt loose. Yeah. I felt comfortable. I felt uh, chill. I felt like I felt like I wasn't worried about anything. Like, I, like, I'm not, I'm a very anxious person, but, like, in my soul, I'm not anxious. It was, like, in these situations at, like, a party where everybody else gets to be, like, loosey-goosey, I would get very tense if I didn't put something in me. Yeah. You know? So, like, I would, uh, I started to smoke pot. And then, like, kind of, like... You never smoked pot. You were like, I don't want to smoke pot. You know, you were, it was like some sort of like, you know, it was like some sort of fear and some sort of morality around like, this is not what I'm going to do. 
do you, yeah, do you remember that there was a morality to it? Did I say something like that? Because I, I don't remember that part of it. I don't even remember why I didn't, but it's it's. I well, you know, I think I might be just projecting because when Jim when Jim would smoke pot and I wouldn't smoke pot, I thought it was a morality thing for me, and I was just like, that's not the but, right thing why? to do. Because it was illegal, or what was the morality part of it? I think deep down. I thought that people shouldn't do drugs because they wouldn't actually be themselves. Yeah, that that strikes a chord. I think I probably thought that too. You know, if you're doing that, you're doing it to be cool. You're not being yourself. It's right. disingenuous. It's not who you are. It's right. not who you're meant to be. Which is funny because in a lot of ways, I've come full circle to that notion. Yeah. But I, I mean, I actually had to learn that that was actually true. You know, um, so like. And then, like, we all graduated high school. And, like, we were the worst students in our high school. We went to, like, one of the best schools in the world. And, like, our group of friends were, like, pretty much the worst students in the school. And, um, and we went to high school and uh, – or went to college. And Dave went to California, to Berkeley. And I went to Ithaca. And I remember when we got to school, I would just be, like – we were both miserable where we were. And a lot of it had to do with not feeling like we were a part of anything and not having friends and whatever. And I, that's when I started smoking weed. You know, that's when my addiction kicked in. Wait, why, why did you even go to Ithaca? But they had a good TV program and I huh. wanted to make TV shows. Huh. Okay. I wanted to make the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts then. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had a premonition that there was going to be this drug addiction podcast that was going to be the biggest thing ever. Life um, comes full circle. So here we are. Um... So at Ithaca, I um, I totally started uh, doing drugs every day. Started smoking pot every day. Started taking acid, taking pills, and uh, and you didn't. I didn't at Berkeley, like the druggiest place historically. And um, and I even lived in a co-op where there was tons of there was a guy growing pot in the basement. There was tons of drugs being done, and I still didn't. Do you do you remember like the Turn. I mean, like, because I think most of our group of friends started smoking a bunch of pot right. in that moment, or at least Jim and Devin did. And Robbie had started drinking a bunch. I think Greg did too, a little. No, no, I don't think so. Not so much. But do you remember like a turn where like people were doing drugs and you weren't? Yeah. And what was that like? Yeah, at, at this cost. So I, you know, I lived in the dorms freshman year. And, and, you know, I had a weird reason. It wasn't like I was the guy who went to California because I had dreams of this California life. I knew nothing about California. I, I basically went to college in California to try and win back my ex-girlfriend. And I got out there, and I was like, what the hell? I don't know anything about this place. There was all these fraternities and sororities. I had never even heard of a fraternity. I was a real sheltered kid, I guess. And uh, <laughs> How could you not have heard of a fraternity? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But uh, then I started, you know... I think it was just so unappealing, you know, that idea of this group mentality of these boneheads, like, doing... Everybody doing the same thing and looking exactly the same, and you would have to do what they wanted you to do so you could be part of it. It's, like, the worst idea in the world. It's, like, if you were like them, you'd be like, all right. But it was, like, you have to be different so they like you. And it's, like, that's, like, that... It disgusted you. Yeah, it wasn't my thing. Although, the funny thing is I did realize that you could get free food by going to the first week of their little rush thing. So you and took it, advantage. Yeah. You yeah, get really good meals. For all of you guys going to college, just 
know that. You can get go to Rush, food. steal their food. And there's probably also a lot of stuff you could steal from their houses. But then they'd probably kill you if they caught you. So, so don't do that part. Be careful. And don't do drugs, kids. Continue. Okay, sorry. Uh, so anyway, um, so I moved into this the freshman year. I was in this, you know, just dorm, and it was just it was kind of like fratty, and I was unhappy. And uh, and then I moved into this co-op house, which is a house with twenty three people. It's called the Pax House, and basically everyone in there was doing drugs. Everyone was definitely smoking pot, and there was you know a ton of other drugs. I mean, like the first day I walked in, I met this guy, and I was like, "Hey, I'm Dave," and he's like, "I'm Cliff." I mean, Bruno. And I was tripping yesterday, and I had this vision that God told me to change my name. So I changed my name. It was that kind of place, you know. And, and you know, and while everyone was smoking pot around me, tripping, doing other things, I, I mean, I tried smoking pot, but it just, it, it didn't really, it didn't make me feel good. It just made me feel kind of paranoid. And, you know, a few times, maybe if I just you know, was by myself, maybe it felt, made me feel good. But in social situations, it was the opposite of what happened to you. It gave me that kind of feeling like I couldn't connect with anybody because I was lost in my own head. And so it just, it just didn't feel good. And, uh, and I still, you know, somehow I always end up, I've had a lot of friends who have been stoners over the years. And even if they're stoned, I still have a good time with them. So there's something about, something about the, like that culture that maybe... I groove with, but for whatever reason, it just didn't didn't work with my chemistry. I, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I think that that's a common thing. I mean, you can meet like a ton of drug addicts, even who like didn't like weed. You know, yeah. weed isn't for everybody. No. It was for me. What I want to know is what was it like, like dealing with your friends who like before that we would just hang out and we would hang out. You know what I mean? And then after that, when we hung out, we'd have to find a way to get stoned. Yeah. Like, it was part of the night, and then everybody would be stoned. Yeah, you know sucks. what I mean? Like, when we were kids, we would play video games together, like, sober, all day yeah. and all night. And then we'd come back from college, and, like, half of us need to be stoned in order yeah. to do anything. Yeah, it sucked for me. I, I, I hated it. I, like, And I just remember feeling like I felt isolated. You know, I felt like... No one really wanted to hang out with each other. Everyone just wanted to get stoned and play video games. And then when we were playing video games, it didn't feel like we were connecting in that old school way. And uh, and there were other things that I think made me feel isolated, that I had gone all the way out to California. But that was, I remember that that sucked for me, and I didn't like it. And it, and it, it even like doubly made me feel like this isn't a good thing. It's taking my friends away, like away from just the old school way we used to hang out, and we were so close. Right. I see I enjoyed one of the things that I really enjoyed about drugs was like I needed to to like I needed the adventure of like I like doing the wrong thing and I like I like like I liked shoplifting when I was a kid. Like I liked getting away with stuff. You know what I mean? Like I just I enjoyed like getting away with whatever it was, like yeah. cheating or like it was like it, it, my moral center like I was I was raised by good parents and I had this good moral center but when and when I was a kid I was such a good kid you know what I mean I was so innocent and so pure but when I when I started getting away with stuff I really got off on it and like I really got off on you know stealing lying you know and for me lying started like because my parents were so protective and so controlling like they didn't want me to take 
a, a specific route home from school. So like, and I didn't want to hear about it from them. So I would come up with a story like in order to get home from school and like, or, or like with, I don't remember lying with teachers, but I'm sure I did. You know, I just became like somebody who would lie in order to get through a day. You know what I mean? In order to to like explain something, I would lie about it. Like, and it's weird because I'm very much not like that now. And I don't even remember that period because I think that was the pre doing drugs period. I think like lying was my first drugs, and the second I started doing drugs, I couldn't keep stories straight enough to keep up with lies, <laughs> so I stopped lying. You know, because like. Or maybe I just hated lying, but like I, I remember there was a minute where I would lie. But do you think that was, that that was because even though your parents, you know, sort of raised you really well and were good people and had a strong moral compass and all that stuff, do you think you you had to rebel because it like it, it put you too much in a box and you needed to break out of that in some way and like have a sense of your own control in the world and the way you could do that was through lying to your parents or lying to whoever. Or, Shoplifting or something like that? I think I just, um, I think my parents had expectations of me. Like, I think I had expectations of myself that surpassed my parents' expectations of me in a way. Like, and I think my parents didn't understand the way I saw the world at all. And I think, like, I wanted to be a certain way and they wanted me to be another way and I didn't want to hear about it. So I kind of pretended to be their way or I would go along with what they would say so I could do whatever I wanted. That was a classic early childhood story where my sister would fight with my parents all the time about everything. And she was probably 13 or maybe she was 15 and I was like 10, 11 and we're in the elevator and she's throwing a fit. And I said, Lori, just do whatever you want and tell them what they want to hear, you know? And that was really how I would lie. I would do whatever I wanted and make sure that nobody could fuck with me. And that's, and that was what led to my, my kind of doing drugs, you know, like getting away with stuff based on, uh, I don't like to hear people talk shit to me. And I'm still like that. Like I do not respond well to like people giving me shit. Like I'd much rather not hear about it, you know? Um, Anyway, this story, like, uh, it kind of, like, it gets kind of really crazy. It, like, it, it all amps up because, I mean, my drug use really ramped up after that. Um, you know, I became, you know, as soon as I was done with freshman year of school, I was smoking weed every day. I was taking whatever drugs I could get my hands on uh, whenever I could get my hands on them. And Dave... Like, we were hanging out the other day, and he was telling me this story about setting up, like, a basketball camp in California in this nice summer. And I was like, what was I doing? And Dave was like, you were probably doing drugs. And it's like – and it's true. Like, every minute – as soon as I found drugs, every minute I wanted to do them. And and you did the opposite. Um, And this is where the story takes this uh, terrible turn. Terrible, terrible turn. And uh, and Dave, it was it was the end of school. Was it the end of school? No, tell us. You tell us. No. All right. Um, well, I, I guess the timing of this would be. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll start with. I had this girlfriend right at the end of college. This is where it all all really kind of begins. Like the tail end. I met her actually 
at, at the party at the last day of college. And we, and she, and, uh, we start going out and then she, she was from the West coast. And then she, after some traveling stuff we did, she ended up moving to New York to be with me. And we were living together in Brooklyn and we lived together for a few years. And then I was starting medical school and, uh, I don't know how, how to t- best tell this story. Um, Dave, Dave, I, I remember Dave was dating this woman, and she, he called me. I remember I was living on the Lower East Side with Jim, uh, and, and you called me, and you said, I, I like this girl, and I think she's a stoner. And I was like, well, how much pot does she smoke? And he was like, I think she smokes every day, and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh. And then I didn't meet her for a long time. Right. But like... You came home with her, and and me and her met. Wait, and so this is a big thing, actually. When when she moved to New York, she didn't really know people here, and so I was like, I want to introduce you to all my good friends because these are like my like these are like my brothers in the world, and it was it was important because like I wanted her to have friends too, or maybe she had one friend here, I can't remember, but you know she was. It's hard, like you move to a new place, you don't know people, and and. And, and I think another backdrop to this is like that aside from what we're the story we're about to go into that our you know our friendship was already we were struggling or I was struggling anyway I'll say it from my perspective because you were you were addicted to heroin and it was really hard to be friends with you then it was you know I'd come over we I'd start playing guitar so we'd play some guitar together and that was fun but you know you were like it was hard to get a hold of you you'd never call me back like you, you know I, I seem to remember. I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correctly. They, there were times when you were maybe trying to quit a little bit, and I was trying to like be really excited and help you with that, but you weren't really ready to quit, and that was really hard. And there's just a lot of hard, like it was hard because I was worried. I was just like worried about you, I, like, and it was just hard to be, you know, like a straight guy or you know someone who's not doing drugs with with someone who's addicted to drugs. That's that's a hard dynamic to to. Bridge. And the transition from being a stoner to being a heroin addict was right. a very sh- sharp change. And my I think my personality changed. Yeah. And my behavior changed. And like, you know, if you if you're listening and you're a heroin addict, you know the way you change. You you lose patience. Uh, you lose the ability to be a friend. You know, like, I think you can't be bothered with anything unless you're high. And then when you are high, you're not, it's not real. And um, and so we had we had drifted apart, but our friendship, our group of friends was still as strong as ever. But it was also just, we were all like young men trying to have lives and careers and whatever. And at the time, like, my career was doing well. Like I was like making inroads into TV and like, and, and I had that nice apartment, but, um, but you know, I was a heroin addict and, and Dave had this girlfriend and, uh, and I hit it off with his girlfriend immediately. And like, there wasn't any kind of like spark at first as much as like, I was like, she's cool, whatever. And like, but she, she was a stoner and it was like very comforting to meet somebody who smoked pot. And I remember she like would drink Coke, you know, and I would drink Coke and she smoked Marlboros and I smoked Marlboros. And it was like, it was just like this thing. Like it was like, we had a lot of weird habitual things in common. So I think it, well, I want to go back to that part in a sec because I, there's some of this, like, I don't actually know some of this part, the backdrop, but I think it'll help the listeners if I tell what, 
the next part of the story. Tell as much as you can. All right. So um, I'm at this point in my life where it was the year before medical school. I had taken this year. I had been a sixth grade teacher, and then I stopped teaching, and I got into medical school, but I deferred. So I had this whole year that was awesome. It was like this incredible year. I got really into playing guitar. I was doing capoeira and improv comedy. It was like I was just riding high, photography, all this great stuff. And me and and this girlfriend were living together, and it was like our relationship was such that she didn't really demand anything of me, and I was out at all hours, you know, going to weird like bluegrass shows in the West Village till four in the morning. I was doing whatever I wanted, and she never really asked anything of me. And I was a young kid, like I wasn't really paying attention enough to our relationship probably, and she wasn't saying anything. So I, I sort of thought everything was all good in our relationship. And then I had this friend come stay with me, and I remember she said, this friend Ben came to stay with me from L.A., and he was trying to be an actor here, and she, and she said to me, I can't be in the house while you have this friend over. I'm going to go stay at my boss's house in wherever, uh, up at Columbia or University or something. He's away. And I was like, all right, you know, I, I guess. Why couldn't it. she stay there then? She said because, like, there was no, you know, it was a small New York City apartment. She was like, there's no, like, I don't have any privacy here. I'm trying to, she was trying to do some writing and submit some writing stuff to magazines. And I was kind of like, okay, it seemed weird to me, but I was kind of, you know, I was just doing my thing. You were oblivious. I was oblivious, and I, I was really focused on my thing. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like, we had, like, good interactions. It wasn't like we had a bad relationship. It was just, like, we weren't, like, really interfacing enough. Well, it was interesting because, like, Jenny, the fuck, she was, um, you were both, like, she was, like, this very much free spirit, hippie person, but her hippiness was more how she ate, how she dressed, you know, that she smoked weed every day. Which is weird. That she smoked cigarettes every day, that she listened to, you know, psychedelic music and jazz. And you were actually, like, crazy hippie in that you actually pursued anything you wanted to do. You know what I mean? You would do photography. You would try to learn guitar. You would go to do capoeira. You were doing all of these things, you know, that traditional hippies would do. But these hippies of our age, like I was like a hippie and all I would do is smoke weed and eat and watch TV. And I'd be like, what? I'm a hippie. You know, but it was like, so it was like this kind of like similar ideology that wasn't carried out the same way. And I think she was actually very, I know that she was very lonely and depressed and like, and she was like getting wasted every day. Right. And, um, you know, and I hung out with her very little, like, like, but it wasn't, then, then you started going on these trips. You went on some trip to like Virginia to find a banjo or a banjo teacher (laughs) or something. I I actually took Jenny, took her car and, uh, uh, I drove down to Virginia. I played hooky from, that was when med school started. I played hooky from med school for a few days, I think. And, uh, just to, I was getting into bluegrass and I started playing banjo and I was just like, Virginia is where people play banjo. So I went to find bluegrass banjo farmers or I don't know. I found some old dudes and it was great actually. But meanwhile though, she was incredibly alone and I was incredibly alone. I was fucking totally addicted to heroin on 24th street by myself. And I remember one night she calls me up and she says, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. You know what I mean? And she goes, well, can I come over and hang out? And I said, sure. And she just, you know, she wasn't looking to come over and have sex with me. She wanted to come over and like have a friend, you know what I mean? And like, I was like, so she came over and I think we smoke pot 
And, like, maybe I even gave her some heroin. You know, like, that's very possible. And, like, and nothing happened. And, and But it was, like, it was, like, just to have, like, I, I was incapable of having some close friendship with a girl that was somebody else's girlfriend without thinking about doing something. It's just not the way I was wired, you know? And, um, and I was attracted to her. Um, but, like, you were, like, my brother, and I was on heroin, and she was lonely, and it was, like, a million fucking things. And she wound up, I think we, we maybe she we kissed for a second, you know, like, there was something, and I was like, get out of here, you gotta go, blah, blah, blah. And she leaves, and that was, like, the seed was planted. Right. You know? And, um, and then you went on some other trip to, like, the Far East, to, like, Korea or Japan or someplace. Uh, what? Did you go uh, to some Asian well, I did, country? I did go Thailand. To, I did, but Vietnam. That, wait, that was nineteen ninety-seven when I went. Was that the right timing? Yeah. No, that, that was too early. Because where this, else this, did you travel to in that period? I don't know. I, I can't remember. You went on some other long trip, and I had gotten a job uh, delivering <clears throat> weed around the city, right. and I was very lazy, and and she had a car. And, uh, and I ran into her one day while I was delivering weed, and she goes, do you want me to drive you around? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. So I started getting spoiled, and when I would work, I would call her and be like, do you want to drive me around? I'll get you high. She was like, fine. And we would drive around, and I would deliver weed. And we became friends, you know what I mean? And me and her hit it off immediately. Like, we became really close. And, and then you went on some other trip, some long trip and she was very depressed and she came over she called me like at night and she's like can I come over and uh and you were away and we wound up having sex and uh and as soon as we had sex I like lost my mind and I said I, I I what I said was you have to leave Dave and you have to tell him that we had sex and you have to move in here. And that's the only way that it can be right is, is the way that I had decided, imagined it. Because if we had just had sex and then she went back to you, <clears throat> like, I don't know, I, cu- I couldn't live with it. You right. know, for, whatever, for whatever reason, I couldn't live with it. And, um, and she was like, and I was a heroin addict, you know, and she was like, I don't think that that's a good plan for me to move in with you. And I said, well, that's, that's what it has to be, you know? And, and I think she stayed with me for a few days while you were yeah, away. That, that's when she was probably telling me she was staying with her boss or something. Because what happened, what I remember next is that she called me and was like, you know, let's meet or something. And, and this is where, I, you know, I knew something was wrong. Like, things just didn't feel right. And, but you know, when you're in that position and I was in this position where I had all these other things at this point, I'm in medical school. It's, I guess, 1999, 2000, something, you know, no, it was way before that. It was, this all happened 98, nine, oh no, no yeah, 99. Yeah. It was 99 and 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was a first year. And that's where school. my life really fell apart. And, and yeah. Cause and like here I was like diving into medical school and like, you know, it's, uh, medical school is like all encompassing in a lot of ways, and I was trying to maintain other things, playing guitar, whatever, and in this like, relationship, and, sort of, like, yes, but I didn't, I wasn't like paying enough attention to it. But I, at this point, I clearly knew something was wrong. So we meet in Tompkins Square Park. I remember this, and uh, 
where it's at nighttime. We're sitting on these benches, and there's that, I think it's the basketball court where there's the chain-link fences. I remember we're sitting right by that on those, like, New York City benches, you know, with the old wood slats and the stone thing. And I remember she said, I have to tell you, I don't remember the word she used, but it was something like, I'm with someone else, or I, I, I you know, something like that. And I would, you know, I, I like my heart dropped out and it was, you know, the craziest fucking feeling I've ever had. And, and like, for some reason, I I wasn't even thinking, I was assuming in that moment it was someone I didn't know. But for some reason I just said to her, the only thing I could think of to say, because I was so fucking bewildered and like floored by it was who, who, who are you with? And then she was like, Dave. And then like my head fucking spun around, you know, like, I was like, went for like 16 more loops. And I just remember like grabbing the chain link fence and like screaming at the top of my lungs and Tompkins, you know, it's oh, like something God. out of a terrible movie. And uh, well, it was like that. It was, it was, it was, it was like, like, like the worst thing that could ever it happen. It was the worst. It was like first the worst thing, like when your girlfriend tells you that she's with someone else. And then it's your, you know, like your brother, essentially, your best friend. So, yeah. Uh, and then a cra- crazy fucking stuff ensued after that. I mean, I don't know how, like, what do you remember of... I remember... Like, that's not the end of the story, you know? Well, what I remember was, first of all, like, my heroin use, like, tripled. Because yeah. I... And my and my benzo use went crazy high. Like, I'm just taking... Because I couldn't live with this fact. Yeah. I think soon after that, uh, I, like... I don't know if I had already lost my job at that point, if I had been to detox at that point, like where I was in my addiction. Um, I think I had. No, I think was I might have still been working. And then I think she wound up leaving town. But what I remember is she moved in with me. And then I think the trauma of all of this, you know, it was incredibly stressful and painful for all of us. And she got really sick. You know, she got really, really sick, and she checked herself into the hospital. Yeah, she, she like, was at St. Vincent's yeah, Hospital. Yeah. yeah. She wound up, uh, and she was white. Remember, she was white as a ghost, and she, she was incredibly skinny and little and sickly in a way. Yeah. You know, that's just, like, how she, like, was. And she got so sick, and then we went to visit, we went to visit her separately, and we ran into each other there. And I remember standing outside of St. Vincent's. I remember staring at this fire hydrant trying to explain to you what had happened you know trying to to apologize but trying to just say this is what happened and you know i don't know what to say about it and i know it's not right but i don't remember like what came out of my mouth you remember that i picked up a trash can and threw it on the ground and you thought i was gonna throw it at you i don't remember it i don't i was on drugs you know i don't remember i mean but even before that I, i remember that well and that was like a crazy you know, like maybe that was the first time we saw each other since the whole thing went down, and it was that was the first time it was we a saw crazy each other. fucking feeling, and you know, um, and but what even before that, I don't know if you remember this, but she came back to me and she was like, I, you know, like she was crying and was like, I don't know what to do, like maybe I should stay with you. She was so confused. And, you know, and I was in a crazy state. You obviously were in a crazy state and you were, you know, on heroin. And and she I remember you called our place that we lived in and I answered the phone. And this was like this is maybe like the, the biggest indication of like where you were at with with your addiction at this point. And I picked up the phone and you were like, 
give the phone to Jenny, give the phone to Jenny. And like, you were basically like, and then like, I, I, I guess I gave the phone to Jenny and you were basically like convincing her that she had to leave me. And I was like, you know, the feeling of like, fuck, you know, like this is like my friend, my great friend. And he's just like gone in this world of like need. And it felt, it, what it felt like to me at the time was like, it was the same as the feeling I had when you were trying to get drugs. It was like you were trying to get this, it, whether it was drugs or whatever I could whatever do, whatever you could do to, to take myself out like, of my, my head. You were able to bypass like your great friendship to get the thing that like you, you craved in some way. Not, you know, not that you were craving her in this like momentary way, but it was a craving of some kind. You know? It was like, it was crazy codependency. It was crazy. If I, if I didn't have her, I was nothing. And if, if I was going to do this to you right. and to me, right. if I was going to betray you, which would be also me totally betraying myself, which it was, you know, I betrayed everything that I believed in. I knew that I had done the worst thing as far as I could tell, you know, in my life, I rate it as, it was the worst thing I ever did in my life until uh, we had the baby and I was using with the baby. Yeah. Then it became the second worst thing <laughs> I ever did in my life. Um, but, like, I knew the second it happened, like, how wrong it was. And I knew, I, I kind of remember that situation, but I was like, you know, I was a drug addict and I was, like, going to get what I needed and I was going to get what I needed to be okay. And that was that she was going to be with me and I wasn't going to have to think about this by myself anymore. You know, like it was utter selfishness, utter craziness, utter self-centeredness, you know. And she was like insane. You know, you were like the most sensible out of all of us. And you like got the world dropped on your head, you know. And I was just like this total like ravenous drug addict freak, you know, pathetic person, you know. And then she wound up... um I think moving moving to California. No, she moved to uh, to Washington State actually to that little point in, in Washington State where you have to go through Canada. It's like the furthest you can get from everything in the world, in and while you're in the United States. She she lived with me. Um, she lived with me when I had one of the worst seizures I ever had, um, and I and she would like take me to meetings and stuff, and she lived with me when. Um, like I remember this so well. Like uh, I was, I was using it as much as I could use. You know, I was using like hundreds of dollars a day, and um, and I was shooting up. I think at that point, and or maybe I, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I wasn't shooting up. Maybe I didn't shoot up until after she had left. But um, and I was taking tons of pills, like tons and tons of pills. And I would have seizures when I wouldn't take the pills. And remember, I had that loft bed in that yeah, apartment, yeah. and I had a seizure on the loft bed where I fell off of the loft bed onto my coffee table and I had this big thick glass bong on the coffee table and I fell I could have been killed you know very easily I fell right onto that and um and she called 911 because I was having this total grand mal seizure yeah. and uh and she always would tell me this story that uh the cops came and I was like, I'm not going, like, but, but like, blah, 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 you know, like crazy. And then the cops had to drag me out of the house, and I was holding on to the door frame, you know, and I wouldn't leave. And then I woke up at St. Vincent's again, oh, you know, which is also where Nora was born, wow. you know, 
Um, and um, I woke up at St. Vincent's in, the, in on a basket on a bathroom floor. And uh, a Jamaican nurse was like, boy, you don't need to be acting like that. You know, like, like, what are you doing on the floor? You know, kind of thing. And, um, and, and, it, and like, I was sitting there, and the, all I could think when I was in that bed was, there's still dope at home. You know, there's still yeah. dope at home. That's crazy. And, and she was like, no, there isn't. I threw it all away. There's nothing left. And I was like, I know there's dope at home, and, uh, and I'm going to get it. You know, and and when I got home, I remember because I, I I still have the muscle memory of how I would get into the bed. I would stand on the coffee table. I would put my arms on the loft, and I would jump backwards up into the bed. Mm. And in that loft bed, there was this little alley between the mattress and the frame, and I had dope in there. And when I got home, I I did the dope. You know, and and in that hospital stay was the weirdest thing. There was this lesbian woman who was, and I, I this is going to derail this very emotional story, but it's so very weird. There was this lesbian woman who claimed to be the daughter of this famous producer, and she had a girlfriend uh, who she said was Tracy Chapman, and uh, it was it was this black woman with dreads who looked like Tracy Chapman, but she called herself Mo. It was insane. Hmm. It was it was totally totally insane. Anyway, this woman who we haven't really used her name very much, or should yeah. I just say her name? Because well, I don't know. Are you going to bleep it out later? No. Yeah. Um, she wound up trying to get me help and like feeling very bad about what had happened, and she moved to the Pacific Northwest. And I kept trying to get clean, and I think that's when you left too. Shortly after, didn't you? No, because I was still in medical school here, and so I was like, I went through this period, you know. So like, yeah, this is also maybe the part I don't know how much you know, but so then I, you know, I like obviously went into this like crazy period for a little while. Like I remember I didn't eat for three days. I like I I just had this like crazy feeling about everything, and and I actually had this great friend in medical school who like you know kind of took me by the collar and you can like lifted me up and was like you can be sad about this you can be like so hurt but you need to like pass your your test and I'm going to come over and make you study and he like he was the one who kept me he actually was this guy I was in this band with and it was like him and this band that helped me stay in medical school actually because I was just fucked up and uh anyway so so um I went through this this period where it was, and, and I remember, I don't know if like, she ever told you this, but she later told me in, in some letter or something that she like would come in disguise because, you know, I don't know if it was because she felt so guilty or whatever, but she would come by the, the medical school in disguise just to like, you know, watch me go into medical school or something like that. Does this ring a bell? No. Weird stuff like but that. But why would she tell me that? I don't you know? Right. So there was so many weird things happening, but anyway, so. So then what happened with, with you guys at that point? Well... Was that when you moved to California? No, no. Then I, I just kept trying to get it together here. She was gone. Uh, I had decided, though, that because I had destroyed our friendship, that I better be with her. You know, like, I needed to wind up with her. Because what was the point of it otherwise? Not to mention that I really did like her. You know what I mean? Like, she, like in the end... You know, we did something terribly fucked up, you know, like to you, but like had me and her met outside of you, it could have been a good relationship. You know what I mean? Like we had a lot in common. Like we, we were very good friends. She was very smart. She was very kind. She was like, she was a good person, you know, like 
she did the wrong thing. You know what I mean? And I totally did the wrong thing. But, like, I can't say, like, she was the biggest enabler I ever had. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I wound up, what happened to me was I wound up going to treatment and then in Florida, and I wound up moving to California and living with Todd and Jeremy and then convincing her to move in with me in Los Angeles. And then we lived together in Los Angeles for seven years where she took care of me. You know, she made sure that I ate and I slept and I had drugs and I did whatever. And, uh, and, and, and my life became less and less recognizable, you know, and I think the guilt of what had happened never left me. You know, I talk, I talked about that every, every time I got straight, I would retell the story to her and I'd be like, how am I supposed to live with this? You know, and, and she didn't really have a good explanation for, you know, because we had to live with what had happened. But I think another thing to, to mention here is, you know, like you were saying, she was taking care of you is, uh, I mean, I don't know if this is, you know, good or not a good explanation, but, you know, I think in, in my relationship with her, like you were saying, I think she was really lonely and depressed and it was clear that I didn't, I wasn't. Like, you didn't need her I, I didn't like need that. Her. And you needed her more than anything. You needed her so fundamentally. You literally needed her to save your life at this point. Like I, you know, like everyone was afraid you were going to die at this point or later points. Just you know, being a heroin addict and. You know. Well, my mother would always like thank her for keeping me alive. You know, my parents really loved her because she kept me alive, right. and they didn't need to worry because they knew that she was watching right. out for me. Right. You know, and she was like very much addicted to like the codependence of the whole thing. You know, she was like this crazy enabler. She also was a total enabler with Todd. Like whenever Todd needed money, she would give him money till the end, till he died. You know, she was always like there for Todd in any situation. She never learned like in terms, I mean, not that that had anything to do with Todd dying, uh, but she was this major league enabler. And, uh, and our relationship, you know, uh, my my relationship with her became one of total uh, enabling caretaking. I was helpless, and she, uh, you know, took care of me. Yeah. And uh, and we lived in California, and she worked. I would drive her to work, and uh, she and I would drive, and I would then I would go get high, then I would drive back and pick her up, and like I would cook. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like I would clean the house, right. would watch TV, would like wander around the neighborhood and take out of focus pictures of flowers. I, I was just like this big, total mess. You were a heroin house husband. Yeah, very, very much so. I would like wear a robe all day. I was like 50 pounds overweight. I was on methadone. It was like, it was like crazy, 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 crazy. And I think every year at some point I would call you and I would be like, I'm so sorry for what happened you know i'm still with her like 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 somehow me being with her made it okay you know what i mean like you know i didn't want to hurt you that's not why this happened it never would have happened if i wasn't on drugs you know like just trying to find some peace and reconciliation or whatever and you were like you were always like i always love you but i can't i don't want to talk to you and yeah, you know I, I couldn't be friends with you I, it was it was yeah, and um, until until your mom died. Well, then that's when I started trying to get my shit together. My mom was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, and I was on 150 milligrams of methadone, and I and I started kicking the methadone, and I got off the methadone, and we moved to Vermont, 
and I called you from Vermont, and you were still like you had heard that my mom. Wait, was, so when? What year would this have been? Two thousand and seven, I think. Okay. Yeah. And um, and I was just like trying to explain to you what was happening, and you know, you were like, you know, you always were happy to hear from me in the bottom of yourself, but then like ninety percent of you was just like, what are you fucking? Leave me alone. I just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't ready to forgive you in, until I think this conversation, well, I don't know, I just remember the conversation where you told me either, it must have been when you told me your mom was dying, and uh, I remember I was sitting on my porch at the time where I was living, and I just, I remember just, maybe it was the same conversation, maybe it was the next one, but I just remember this feeling of like, suddenly I was like, okay, this is now, whatever, 10 years in the past, eight years in the past, this thing that happened. And, and, and like Dave's mom is dying and like, I'm far past all this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm now with this other, with this other wonderful woman who I ended up marrying, who's, who's like the light of my life. I'm like so far past all this. And like, there's so many bigger things than this. And and I remember that's when I suddenly like was able to in but myself you, forgive you, right? But and still though, like you weren't like so up for being my friend. And I think you also could hear how sick I still was. Well, what I remember saying to you is like that I forgive you, and our friendship has to come from you. I have to like know because because there was the like you know the, the like you stealing my girlfriend kind of thing. But then there was just, like, the thing that was left for me was that, like, you know, just, you know, whether it's because of the drugs or whatever, that you had treated me in this way that felt like the drugs are more important than me. And I knew you were still, like, using on and off at this point. And so I felt like I I needed you to know that it's got, the friendship has to, uh, like, we can, like, we can redevelop our friendship, but it's got to come from you so that I knew that you, like, it was your actions where were like able to like come to a friendship with you know where we could be back together and it, it, that's just like the thing and I then what happened after mind. that um then i think we started talking some not not a lot well then my mother actually died yeah then she died and i think you realized like that the lands and and after my mother died right after my mother died or right before my mother died i broke up with i broke up with her Right. We broke right, up, right. and I left her, and I moved home. And that's when... It wasn't until then that you could actually talk to me. That's funny, because I, I don't... I mean, maybe that's true, but I don't even remember that part of it. Like, the part I really remember is the, that your mom either was dying or died. That, like, in my mind, that was sort of the the thing that triggered me. The switch was flipped the, the, in your Yeah, head. where, like, I felt like I, for, I could forgive you, and that there was bigger things here. Right. And, like... And then I think I moved home... And, uh, and my mom died, you know, right, you know, I moved home in August and she died in, in November, I think. Yeah. And, um, and I knew your mom so well too. It was like, that was like, it was, that was like, was painful for me that your mom was dying. It, you know, it was like, there's so many emotions like in all of that. Well, cause you were very much raised by my family the way I was raised yeah, by your I, family. I was over here all the time growing up. Throwing and my- paper airplanes off the terrace throwing fiery balls of paper towels off the terrace. Sorry, Alan. And um, it's just like, it was, it's such a, you know, the reason, you know, Dave is not a drug addict, obviously, and he's not a drug user. There's no, like, funny, I mean, he had a couple tripping stories that we decided for him not to tell. But, like, the fact of the matter is my drug addiction f- and my 
terrible decision making, you know, based on me being a drug addict or based on me being a bad person or based on circumstance or whatever. You know, it's like I think it's a story worth telling uh, because I'm sure a lot of you guys have hurt your friends. You know, um, hurting Dave was uh, it still is. It's very painful for me to, to hear the story. Obviously, you know, Dave has this beautiful family, you know, that and maybe I saved him from having a terrible life with the other well, woman. Um, oh no, no, but that, that's the point. I think that Jenny and I were not meant to be together well, obviously. in the end. So it's like, thing, you know. Things worked out the things, way for the best. Right. But I cannot, like, I, it's hard for me to have the conversation with you whenever we have it. It, it hurts me. Yeah. Because it also, like, it, it fucks with the, 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 our friendship, yeah. you know. Yeah. The myth of our friendship. The, the, the victory is that, you know, you and I, you know, we went through a lot, but I know how much you love me. You know, like we're we're still incredibly close friends, and you know that I'm myself again, and I can be trusted, right? Yeah, but and, and well, like I think it's also <laughs> worth telling the Dopey Nation. I mean, it was two days ago, I was over at Dave's house, and like to be over there and and be with Dave and his family, you know, with with Linda and his two kids, and it's just inc- like you. It, it's like you went from being this drug addict who like ripped me apart to being this like happy man who's doing great now and we're able to be such close friends and I think if you were still an addict even if I had forgiven you and the thing you know after your mom died and all that I don't think we would be great friends right now if you were an addict we there'd still be l- love there but it just you know like you wouldn't be able to like have done what I asked you to do which was like to make the effort and to like bring it back to our friendship and I I did do that because you know my friendship with Dave uh, was always so important to me. And when we had lost, I had lost, like, it sounds dramatic, but I had really lost a piece of myself. Like, I really, I really, I betrayed you, but I betrayed myself yeah. so badly, yeah. like, that I could be this person that calms you. And all you want from your friend is loyalty and, and like, to be a, a stand-up person and to not... Fuck you know, fuck your girlfriend to not stab you in the back to not you know and like and I did the opposite and like you were the best of us you know out of our friends Dave was like the the just the sweetest the most moral the person who did what he said he was going to do way more than I mean we were all pretty good but you weren't late you didn't say no, you were I was gonna, I was definitely late you know what I mean yeah, you didn't say you were going to do something and not do it <laughs> you were out of all of us you were the most morally upright and like. For me to betray you, like, is just, like, the worst thing. You know what I mean? It was the worst thing. So, like, I find that in my recovery, you know, the promise in your recovery is you get to have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And having you as my friend again is a big piece of that because, like, I know that, like, uh, we earned it, you know, and that... Being sober, it lets me be myself, who I was when we became friends in the first place. You know, I got to come back to myself, and you were still you. And it's like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's like a very beautiful thing. It is. And I I mean, it makes me so happy. You know, like, I was, I lost you. And I was like, you know, I lost you in that way of like what happened. But I also, I was, like I said, I was scared you were going to die. And like, I, I feel like so happy that. I, I got you back as a person, as a friend, and you know, and all you know, all this stuff. I mean, this is traumatic to even talk about, but and it's, it's so heavy. But it's like 
it's now long in the past and now we're, we're good friends again. And, uh, I, I'm just so happy that you're back. I feel like you're back and you're like, and you're happy and, and you know, that's what's, what's important. Now. Well, it's true. And, 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 and I am happy and I am back and it, what it is, is it's like, what it is, the weirdest thing about recovery to me, for me on a personal level is that it reminds me of what I was like when we were 10, right. you know, when, when like you were your most you, you know what I mean? And I, and I find that that's like the best gift of my recovery is to be who I like to be, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, I mean, just the fact that you could forgive me, you know what I mean? Like part of 12 steps is to make amends. And I, you know, I've made, I've made amends, like I've, I've actually made it an official amends, but I also like have lived in amends with you where like it's, imp- you know, I, I practice it, you know? And like, you know, even though we are healed and friends and all this stuff, I know what I did. You know, and I know, and I, it, it lives with me. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, I'm, it's over. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, and I, you know, like Dave would like come to town and he'd be like, I'll see you at so-and-so, but I'm not going to your house. Or he'd be like, I don't know if I'll see you. I'm seeing this guy. He would like, I'm seeing this guy this day. I'm seeing this guy this day. Uh, maybe, maybe we could do this, but I'm not, you know, we're not doing this. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was still, I, you know, I'm not faulting you. Yeah. I'm saying like this trip, he actually came to our house. He slept over. It was like old times, yeah. you know, and we haven't done that in a million years. And yeah. that's just really, it's fucking great. Yeah, it was great. You know, and that's a real, it's, it's the next, you know, it's like finally, it's such a long trip back, yeah. but we're finally arriving yeah, almost there. 20 years, right? Like since this happened. Yeah, it's basically 20 years. Yeah. It's 20 years since yeah. it happened. Yeah. You know, and like, and our group of friends was constant and ever, and, and ever constant. Yeah. And like, you know, I remember Dave got married and he didn't invite me to the wedding. Um, at the, that's not true. At the last second, you invited me to the wedding, but you didn't come. That's because I was like, I, it's too, it's too heavy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It was yeah. so you didn't like send me an invitation. You really? were like, you were like, I if you want to come, you can come. Really? And I was like, I don't know if I should go. Um, and I didn't go. And you, but you did come to Robbie's wedding, which was so. My wedding was 2011. Robbie's was what, like 2013 or yeah. something. And were you clean when you came? You, yeah, no, you I was totally you, clean. You know what you told me? You said, I can't come to your wedding because I'm still using. Yeah. And, I, you know, I actually kind of appreciated that. Like, I felt That's like what I said. That was up front. It was honest. And it was like. It was okay, 2011. Okay. Yeah. That was when I was, like, at my worst. Yeah. That yeah. was when Nora was a baby. I was manager at the restaurant. I was using three to $400 of dope a day. Right. I was a fucking nightmare. Right. And I couldn't do anything. And, um. And when I went to Robbie's wedding, like, I was totally sober for the yeah. first time ever. You remember? I was like... I, I do. And it was like a crazy thing. Because it's like, like, you're like, who is this guy? Who is this you like, oh, I remember this yeah. guy from 20 years ago. But it was like that. Yeah. It was really like that. Yeah. And that was the first... And we had such a good time. We had such a good time. And it was the first time we had hung out, like, where I was totally sober yeah, like since then. You and Jim and Dev stayed at my house. And yeah, it was super fun. You, and it was weird, right? You, it was so weird to have me back. It was. It was, like, it was like the old school Dave. You got banned from the local coffee shop. Tell that story. Uh, so there's this coffee shop called a Muddy Cup in Seattle. <laughs> Don't buy coffee at a Muddy Cup in Seattle. <laughs> um, and. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you fill in what I don't know. Okay. Every morning, I get up at the fucking crack of dawn. I've always done this my whole life. And I. And. and uh, 
and I didn't want to like make noise and try to make coffee in your house. I don't know what I was thinking. I just wanted to get out, you know, in the early morning. So at like six in the morning, I would get up and I would leave the house and I would wander down to the muddy cup and I would buy like a big cup of coffee and I would take a shit in their in their coffee cups, <laughs> you know. And then I and I did this like for three days in a row, I think. And I don't know what happened. I think I asked for a refill. Or like, or maybe I want to use the. Ba- Wait, well, what? No, it was the the guy like was like, this is for cost- bathrooms for customers only, and you hadn't bought your coffee yet. I yeah, think. Yeah, and I said I'm gonna buy a coffee. Right, I said, right. what are you a fascist? And he said, he said what? And I said, well, what kind of fascist? I'm gonna buy the fucking coffee after I go to the bathroom. And he was like, you're banned. And and like he wouldn't sell me another cup of coffee. Wasn't there something like his girlfriend? Then she was gonna get it for you or something. Yeah, I, I like I was hanging around. And then he thought you were flirting with her or something, which is also possible. Yeah. Um, trying to dope fiend a cup of coffee out of them yeah. after they had banned me. Yeah, I don't know that I was flirting with. I was not flirting with his girlfriend. Uh, I was. Uh, fighting with them But I thought it was funny In New York You can have that fight And you're the best of friends In Seattle You get shut down And banned Yeah, yeah. You know So Dave started a Smear campaign on Facebook Boycott Muddy Cop and I'll, I'll continue that on Dopey Where, What neighborhood is that? It's in Wallingford In Wallingford, Washington If there's any listeners out there uh, just know that the Muddy Cup is a fascist institution <laughs> that does not want addicts to use their bathroom. Oh, man. And uh, I think it's very cool that you would come on the show. I like that. Uh, Wait, can we leave things with one more funny story just because it was, you got it was another so funny heavy. story? Well, it's not a drug story, but oh. um, the, the Katz's story. All right, tell Can me. we tell that? Yeah. All right. So um, th- this is now going back. So, you know, you have to sandwich the heavy thing between some, some lighthearted stuff. So um, summer after senior year in high school, uh, I... Um, I tried to get this weird job, and Davey, and um, he started coming to this weird job, and we were handing out flyers, and we didn't get paid anything for three weeks, and that was a... It was his job. Tell him the story. Okay, like, I'll tell that story, and it'll lead into the other, the other part. So this, I, this was back before the internet, so like you look in the New York Times in the Help Wanted section, and there was this thing that said, this ad that said, make $400 a week, which was a lot of money back then for a high school student, you know, um, come to such and such an address. So I went down there. I was this, you know, this high school kid, and they, all they asked me it was in this weird warehouse. But it was like it was fucking 1991. It was like New York was fucking crime ridden and yeah, crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it was it was on the it was on the west side. It was like 11th Avenue and 29th. And 29th, yeah. And, and it, there was prostitutes all over the street when I showed up, and and it was filthy. And these were old, old, old warehouses, and. Um, yeah, like think about like a scene from some old like seventies uh, like mafia movie. Like you walk into the dingy old warehouse and it's dark in there, and, disgusting. And there's a guy sits me down. No one used their last names, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm Peter. Can you work seven to four every day of the week?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, I think so." And he's like, "Great, you're hired." And that was the interview. And then so they had me like handing out these flyers all day. And then I was like, Dave, you should come. This is this great job. You just hand out flyers and you make $400 a week. Of course, I hadn't been paid yet. But I loved handing out flyers. Yeah. So Dave's like, I'm in. <laughs> so Dave starts doing this job with me. You fill out these flyers and, and like. You they basically, they had, it was like bootleg items from like as seen on TV. Like at the time, like the, there was something called a cl- 
club that you would put on your steering wheel so you couldn't steal the car. And they had a fake one called the Lock. Yeah. They had just With bullshit. The two, like Hagen Dazs dots over the the O. L O K or yeah. something. Yeah. They they just had bullshit, shitty fucking Chinese knockoff TV products. And like we were in the subways handing out these flyers, you know. And uh, they were like, we're going to give you a commission based on what these people sell. And you should know that only minorities order these items. So yeah, only, totally hand, racist. only hand out the flyers to minority people. And, like, we and just thought it was so weird and we funny. We thought it was weird and funny. You know, like, everything we did back then was to try and have funny stories. And, yeah. and, like, you had to write your operator number so that you would supposedly get paid based on that. So we'd make up these weird songs like... Grab a flyer and have some fun from operator 661. Boom. We're into dance hall at the time. Anyway, so we're doing this. We end up mostly just going to Dave's house, watching 21 Jump Street. And, and, playing, video back, and playing video games. And going back to sleep. But then, so we try and get paid. They don't pay us anything. I finally got 80 bucks out of them for three weeks. So then we're like, all right, we need some other scheme. Because we were always trying to scheme something. So Davey's like, well, my uncle is part owner. My cousin. Of, or yeah. my, your cousin is part owner of Katz's. Maybe we And we come up with this whole scheme of how... We're going to do a delivery service for Katz's because everyone in Midtown would love to have like a pastrami sandwich for lunch. It seemed like such a brilliant scheme at the time. So we presented. It could have worked. It could have. Um, we just didn't do any work for that. <laughs> so, we, no, actually, we did. We took their, like, we took the menu and we made some to go menu or something. We presented to him, I remember, and he was like, Look, you can try. I'll pay you on commission for anything you sell, and I'll give you a free lunch every day and a token for the subway for getting up to Midtown. So we're like, great, okay, done. And <laughs> so we like go up to Midtown, walking around office buildings, and tried to schmooze with the office. We managers. didn't try hard at it. We didn't though. try hard at all. We would like end up in these weird deserted office buildings, and we'd, we'd like just, leave a stack of flyers. Yeah, and we'd like look out the window at the top floor, and it was fun. And you know, it's like the greatest thing as as kids. And but you have to understand that after this job, I yeah. got a billion jobs. Handing out flyers for people. That's so like funny. it became what I would do. And the mantra that every person says when they give you a job handing out flyers is they say, All right, just do your best and don't throw them down the sewer. <laughs> they, they say, everybody who ever has you handing out flyers says that. You know, just don't hand, throw them down the, the sewer. Which is what we did back and, then. And well, with Katz's, I think we just would leave stacks yeah. of the flyers in these abandoned offices, yeah. is what we would do. So, so this led to, so the, I remember the first day, and, and Jim, uh, Jimmy was, was, it was the three of us, and was Tom Hughes with us, yeah. maybe? And, and so, if Tom Hughes is out there, if any, the, we, there's a friend of mine who I lost years ago, and he's just gone. If you guys know a guitar player named Tom Hughes, uh, write the dopey podcast at gmail.com. Super sweet guy. Um, so anyway, so um, we're getting our free lunch the first day, and uh, so we, we, we get in line, and there's the pastrami cutters and everything. And, you know, you look on the menu, and obviously, like, there's all sorts of stuff on the menu. So Dave and I, of course... Being New York City Jewish people. New York people. City Jewish people. We, we get a pastrami on rye with mustard with pickles on the side. And, uh, you know, and the guy, and it's, this is before the last Jewish waiter. This was like really the old school persnickety Jewish waiters back then. And the well, there were Jewish meat cutters back the, then. The meat cutters, yeah. This guy was probably 70 years old. And like he kind of looks at us and gives us like a grunt and a, like a knowing nod, like, okay, you kids know what to do. Then Jimmy comes up, he's looking at the menu, and he's like, um, can I have a, a turkey and Swiss cheese on whole wheat with mayonnaise and he looks down at the guy he's got his the meat cutter the old Jewish meat cutter he's got his arms crossed just staring at him with this like sneer 
and there's this pause, and Jim is staring back at him, and then the guy just goes, fuck you. <laughs> and he didn't give him the sandwich. That was it. Did Jim get a sandwich? No. He, he got a pastrami in yeah. the end. Well, that's, 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 what that, that's what counts as like. Yeah. Um, let's do a... Uh, now, I, I apologize to the Dopey Nation if you didn't find this episode dopey enough, but let's play a dopey voicemail, shall we? Yeah. This is hardcore dopey listener um, Hot Wheels, who's actually a quadriplegic. Really? Yeah. So maybe you could help him out. I work with, with disabled people. I know. So this is he just sent this to me yesterday, and here he is. He's a dopey super fan, this guy. I should have said a person with a disability, not a disabled person. Thank you, politically correct police. Hold on. And this is Hot Wheels. Dopey Nation. Stay strong. Hold on. What's up, Dopey Nation? Dave, Ong, Kathleen, Gabby, Frank, the church, congregation, everybody. Um, figured I'd leave a little quick voicemail here, maybe doping things up a little. Um circle back to like 1999 me and my buddy are going to the city to cop some heroin and uh i I don't know about everybody else but personally i like to get as high as i could on some other shit before i did my heroin crack coke whatever it just made the dope that much better Uh, in chicago a lot of times you couldn't score the same stuff at the same spot so you'd go to the crack spot and go around the corner to the dope spot so me and my buddy, we'll call him John. We went and scored some crack real quick, and we're about to, like, go, you know, to the corner where they got the dope at. And uh, had to pull back on the main street, and as soon as we did, there's our pasty white faces in a very uh, colorful neighborhood that we did not belong in. And, uh, yeah, we got rolled. They like to do this nice thing. The police to uh, big people. Before I broke my neck, I was about 6'3", 230. And for my protection, they like to rip you out of cars, handcuff you, and throw you face down on the curb for your protection. Now, as the Sherry's are freaking, you know, going in the rearview mirror, my buddy goes, here, swallow these. Since I didn't pay for anything, the least I could do was swallow the shit. So I threw them in my mouth, picked up the fucking cup. There's no water in it. And the cops are already walking to the car. So I just raw-dogged it and swallowed like six blows and four rocks. They didn't go down. They got stuck in the back of my throat. But it was good enough for me as long as I didn't puke. And I was the passenger in the car, so I didn't figure they'd fuck with me too much. There was no drugs in the car because I just ate them all. So, like, I'll try to shorten it up a little. So they finally get to me, and they're asking me a bunch of questions. What are you doing in this neighborhood? As as it appears, like, hey, we're going to get off because there's no drugs. They didn't find shit. I I couldn't help but crack this smile because fucking, dude, there's a bunch of crack and heroin in my throat. Like, I'm answering the questions. Like, what's your name? (laughs) Yeah, I said that on purpose so you couldn't get my full name. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. And uh, we got back in the car. They didn't find shit and let us go. And that was all the money. And my buddy's like, damn, man. They're fuck. We're going to be sick in like a half hour. And I'm still laughing because the cop looked at me in the face and goes, what's so funny? And I just smiled and, 
You'll never get it. You're never going to get it. In the back of my mind, dude, this shit's coming right the fuck out. So we get in the car, and my buddy's all depressed. He's like, damn, that was our hundred bucks, dude. We're gonna be dope sick in an hour. I just smile. Can I see your hand for a second? He's looking at me all stupid, and I open my mouth and bam, everything right there in his hand. Just like a fucking Pez dispenser, man. We were fucking smoking the crack and banging dope before the cops were even in their car and pulled away because we knew they weren't coming back to search a car they already searched three times. How's that for a dopey story? Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Okay? Stay strong, dopey nation. Toodles. I have to say that's a perfect dopey story. It's yeah. like, it's short, it's funny, it's to the point, he's victorious at the end. Um, although it's like, it's weird being a person in recovery and hearing the end of the story where he gets to regurgitate the crack and the heroin and use them, and I'm so happy for him. Really? Like, yeah, I'm thrilled for him. Yeah. You know, like, whenever something goes wrong and you're out there, and like, if you have a habit and you, you're fucked. You know what I mean? Like, if you, like... Because you have your whole world set on this thing. Yeah. Like, it's like being sick, being in withdrawal. When you get to put the substance back into you, you get to be well. Yeah. You know, it's not like getting sick and then, like, healing and stuff. Right. It's instantaneous wellness. I mean, right. it's like drug addiction is a terrible thing. Yeah. You know? Um, and I love, I love that story, and I love that it's short and sweet. Um, I feel guilty that I've been such a fucking fascist about short voicemails. I've been a fascist about short voicemails lately. But Hot Wheels fucking came through with a nice shorty. Everybody, send in a voicemail. Uh, send in an email. Um, thank you for listening. Did you enjoy being on the show? I did. What do you think yeah. about the show? You listen to the show from time to time. Yeah, I do. Uh, do you ever listen to some serious dopey ones? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I listened, uh, you know, I listened sporadically, but I, I listened from the beginning. And my the arc of what the show has, like, my as a listener for me, and you guys now all know this crazy story that we talked about today, but the first couple episodes were really hard for me. It was a little, like, PTSD-like because it felt like it was more, like, uh, you know, it was like going into the world of the debaucherous drug stories at first and less on the recovery side. And so it it brought back the, the like, the feeling of, like, well, you know, Dave's reveling in these these good old days kind of thing. Was that what you would hear? Yeah, that, that, you know, that was my personal experience because of, of what happened with us. Um, and then as I listened, and for a little while, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to listen to this. And then... As I listened to some later episodes, even you know before Chris died, um, like it became, uh, and as you guys talked a lot about more the recovery side, uh, I, I liked it a lot more, and, and you know it was easier for me to listen to it. And you know, and the drug stories are interesting. I mean, I I treat a lot of people who have chronic pain, who have drug addiction, and and like to get insight into the world of. You well, know. when you would treat them, would you think about me and the story and yeah, everything you yeah, knew yeah. about it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and uh, and and then like the th- yeah the fact that like you're it seems like you're really helping people who are maybe teetering on that line between addiction and recovery who need a little push over to the side of like seeing how to get over there into into the recovery world. You so know that that's. The show, like the show, great. the show wasn't designed to help anybody. I know the show was designed for us to have fun, but but the only you know, and 
right before Chris died, I was always trying to boil down the message of the show because yeah. I thought it was important to have a message of the show. Yeah. And before Chris died, the message was uh, a heroin addict can recover and you can have fun right. in your recovery. Right. That was the point. And you can even have fun telling fucked up Dobie stories. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and like, it's fine if you guys want to get high too. I'm just saying, for me, I have more fun being clean. Uh, I have way less worries. You know, I had so many worries. Like, getting clean is so hard. Early recovery is so hard. Uh, and I still have problems. Like I, I mean, I have problems today. Yeah. I have problems, but my life is is so much better because I don't have a constant, incredible weight on my head from using. Yeah. Here, you want to read a a little uh, Jewish dopey email? Sure. Don't say his last name. Okay, Just, I won't. Or maybe don't say his name at all. Okay, but uh, can you read it? Your, yeah, your yeah, vision's yeah, turn, no good turn anymore. A little more. I'm, I'm getting a little old here, Dave. Okay. <clears throat> Dear Dave, so glad you have kept Dopey alive even with Chris being gone. I listen to Dopey almost every day and eagerly await the newest episode each week. I literally feel the dopamine flowing when Apple alerts me of a new episode. I just celebrated two years sober, congratulations, on December 26th. I can't believe after 13 years of binge drinking, smoking weed, and shoveling massive amounts of pills into my mouth on a nearly daily basis, which led to two overdoses, I'm finally off it all and honestly barely miss it. I'm so much happier being in recovery, and Dopey has been a big part of it. I'm also Jewish and was raised Orthodox. Wow, fascinating. Fascinating. Raised Orthodox. Yes. Um, I still practice a little bit, but not nearly to a level where I could be called super religious. So maybe this person is just Jew-ish. Jew-y. I think we're Jewish. He's Jew-y. Okay. Uh, I think it's shameful that more people in the Jewish community are not aware that so many of us have this disease. The chosen are not immune. The chosen being in quotation marks. The chosen. The, the chosen. People like you, Amy Dresner, and Mark Marin are my heroes. Nice. The last interview you did with Amy was so fantastic that I immediately bought a copy of My Fair Junkie. Uh, that's Amy's book. Or yes. Yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed reading drug memoirs. The first drunk, drug memoir I ever read was written by my great aunt. Should I read the name of this person? Yeah. Okay. Flory Fisher, entitled... Quote, the Lonely Trip Back. She spent 15 years... Do you know that book? No. Oh, maybe you should read it. Maybe I should. She spent 15 years as an... Maybe I- you should read it. Maybe I should read it. Uh, she spent 15 years as an IV heroin addict and a prostitute until finally getting clean and uh, devoting the rest of her life to carrying the message. The show... Quote, Strangers with Candy. You know that show? No, I don't. It was a funny show on uh, Comedy Central. Oh, like pretty recently? Like 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, is loosely based on her. Did you know that? I know it from the email. Oh, okay. You've read this already. Yes. I oh, got it. The people at Comedy Central saw a video of a talk she was giving. She's crazy. You should check out. It's, a, it's actually, you know, David Sedaris? Yeah. His sister plays the character oh, from yeah. Strangers with Candy, yeah. Amy Sedaris. Yeah. Right. And she's, it's like very wacky. I never liked the show. Yeah. But like my friend, you know, Brad came up with Dopey. People in the Dopey Nation have been talking about it. My friend Brad came yeah. up with Dopey, and I kind of stole it from him and didn't really? tell him until after we had started doing really? it. How does he feel about that? He knew that he couldn't do Dopey. He wasn't even a drug addict. Right. You know, but Brad loved Amy Sedaris. Okay. Anyway, continue. All right. Has Brad been on the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Say well, hey to Brad. Hi, Brad. Hey, Brad. How you doing? Um, he can't answer you. Okay. 
Uh, (laughs) Where was I? The people at Comedy Central saw a video of a talk she was giving to high school kids in the 60s. They they thought her uh, witty, tough Brooklyn Jewish persona was so funny it inspired the fictional character Jerry Blank. Blank? Blank? Blank. Blank. Of course, my great uncle found the show to be insulting and cried because to him it seemed like the show was mocking his sister's tragic life. Anyway, thought you might find that all interesting. Keep up the good work, man, and much love. Hashtag stay strong, dopey nation. Sent from my iPhone. Yes, thank you. And that's from Moisha. Moisha? Yeah. Which I, I like the name Moisha. Moisha, congratulations again on your two time. Years. Yeah. Now you want to hear something fucked up? Something yeah. that bothered me? Yeah. Before before we go, I'm just gonna say this thing that bothered me. Yeah. And uh, and please, you guys, if you're listening uh, and you think that this episode wasn't dopey enough, I don't blame you. It wasn't that dopey, but it's a fucking fucked up story. And uh, and it's a beautiful story of friendship prevailing when addiction and bad decisions destroy it. Yeah. Um, now check this out. Now, many of you guys are in something called... Do you know what Reddit is? Yeah, sort of. It's like something. It's yeah. some weird computer place where people talk about stuff. Right. And Dopey has a place in Reddit, thanks to Cormac. So big shout out to Cormac. We're waiting for your song about Dopey. I uh, hope you're doing good. He set up the Reddit page. And the Reddit people are some of the most like anti-Dopey Dopey fans. They're hardcore, but they kind of like say weird stuff and tell me what to do a bit. Mm. So this guy writes... You're doing a great job on your own, Dave, but never, capital N-E-V-E-R, take Chris out of the show. I think at the end of each episode, you should play Forever in Debt because Chris, capital L-O-V-E-D, loved when you play that song. And then at That's the, the song you wrote, Forever yeah. in Debt? And then have a clip of Chris at the end of every episode saying toodles. Hmm. What do you think about that idea? Fuck that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> You know, it's like, unfor- listen, I love Chris. I fucking love Chris. Yeah. I hate that Chris is dead. Yeah. But I will not play a fuck. I hate it when Chris said toodles. But you don't you say toodles? I say now? fucking toodles for Chris. Right. Because because Chris died, I have to say fucking toodles. Yeah. Because he died. When he would say it, I didn't like it. Um, and now I have to say it because it's his legacy. Yeah. Now, I think that's actually a nice thing. It I think it's nice interesting. Thing. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's a nice idea, but I feel like you have a lot of them. I mean, obviously you're devastated by Chris's death, but you're angry about it, too. You have so many emotions surrounding it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, as just a a dopey listener and now being on it once, I think it's a nice idea. You think I should play Chris saying toodles at the end of every episode? It's an interesting idea. Um, But this is the thing. It's like you're going to play... There, I mean, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to go back to each episode and take a Toodles and play it on each episode? No, you take one Toodles. Clip. And you have the same one every time? That's, That's terrible. Well, that would be the only way you could it's do it. It's terrible. And then you're stuck with it. But so when you have when you say it or you have a guest say Toodles. The, I say it. You say it. I well, say it. And it's I like, say fucking Toodles for Chris. Right. And what's the emotion surrounding that? Anger. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. Gravitas. Yeah. I don't know if that's an emotion. Yeah. You know, it, I feel bad, and I, but I also loyalty. Yeah. You know, pride in our show. I feel a lot of stuff when Listen, I say. I think for the Chris. most important thing is just you say what you feel about Chris, and like you know, I I never met Chris, but I still feel sad that he died, and that's the more important thing that you 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 just said what you feel. I obviously feel sad. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I obviously feel sad that no, Chris I, died. I know. I mean, I remember. I'm annoyed happened. that you think I should play the Toodles no, clip. Listen, I just told you what I really think that 
what's meaningful is what you just said. But you think I should do it any? Do you think I'm a dick because I don't want to no, do it? No, that's, Are you sure? That's not what I said. I I thought it was, it's a nice idea. That doesn't mean so I. So you're think not you saying you it. think I'm a dick because I don't want to do it. I'm not saying that. Anyway, thank you for 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 uh, writing on Reddit. I think his name was Tito Weedo hmm. on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think I should play a recording of Chris saying toodles at the end of every episode? I mean, I also know you love playing songs, so that part I'm surprised you're not going to do. Is well, we play song. Another thing is yeah. that Chris, on the episode before he died, yeah. the last episode, Chris said, I want every episode to start with that blurb from If I'm Not Home, I'm Out Walking right. Around, yeah. and I want every episode to end with Good So Bad. Ah, so that's, that's a no-brainer then. You leave that alone. Listen, right? You still you, that's how you end the episodes. Yeah, right? yeah. It just that's I, I do it. I do it because it's you know, and I say this you know, tongue in cheek, and I say it really. It was his dying fucking wish. Yeah, no, you know, no. That's and, what you should do then. That's, and Chris was not a, like a stickler for organization, but he was a little bit OCD, and I and he really believed that Dopey would be more successful if it followed a formula, you know. Sometimes I'll put a little opening in front of the show. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I'll put another song. Right. Like, I always want to put Led Zeppelin, Good Times, Bad Times, for some reason, because there's so much energy to it. Yeah. I think I might do that for this episode. Yeah. But don't you... I've heard some other songs, like Dopey Listeners have written yeah, in, or yeah, is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. And, and I would love for you guys to uh, send in music, send in art. That's my favorite stuff. I like hearing that stuff when I'm listening. Everybody likes yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. Everybody likes it. And that. there's some great songs, actually. I've heard some good stuff out there. There's some great stuff out there. Yeah. I totally agree. We had the Dopey Nation uh, theme song contest that didn't go anywhere. I, but that's really where a like, lot of them... Who's that guy who uh, did a version of Good So Bad, a banjo version? Oh, yeah, Jake. Jake wow. in West Virginia. Jake, man. That was... I really dug that. I, I was feeling that. Everybody loved that. Nice one. Hey, Jake, and you, he was supposed to send in a new Dopey song, too. Jake. J- Jake be slapping. Jake be slacking. Jake, that's his name, or you're saying? No, I'm saying that Jake be slacking. Okay. Yes. Jake, come on, man. Send in another tune. I want to hear it. Send in another tune. Anyway, uh, I think that's the show. Um, you want to say goodbye to everybody? Yeah. Do you um, want to say say the end thing, or you don't want to say the end thing? Well, I, I'm happy to say Dopey Nation, stay strong. Stay you say strong, stay, strong. stay strong, Dopey Nation. Either way, just stay strong, all of you. And, and you know, like, um, yeah, for those of you who are on that line, man, get, you know, Get to recovery if you can. Uh, I don't know. What do you know about it? I don't. Well, I. You just I know wanna, from you. You just want to see people do well. I want to see people do well. Me too. I know? do too. And you know, and uh, not to mention, and it's that tough out there. I know it's tough out there these days. It's more than tough. If you do dope, you might just die because it's fucking fentanyl. So many people are dying. Have I you? Mean, fentanyl has fucked everybody. You know. Todd probably sniffed a bag and yeah. died. Yeah. You know, I think Chris did considerably more when he died, but I bet Todd sniffed a bag and fucking died. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's also, it's my duty as a doctor, you know, to want people to be well. That's, sounds cheesy, but... All right. Anyway, I'm wishing you all the best. That's the bottom line. So stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. So I've changed my mind, and I'm going to give in to Tito Weedo's request. One, two, three, forever in debt. Building standing set. Standing their ground to defend against the rest. We're all at odds. Don't forget your bets. From the roof I yell. You hardly break a sweat. Sabotage is no longer camouflage. Almost in the open, so you better quit your job. Can't say it looks too good. Could be a mirage pointed at your head. I think it's time to dodge. Paid my rent and my money's all but spent. Plan to take 
get over, but I haven't made a dent. I lost some folks I used to call my friends. They'll all be back when I'm on my feet again. But sabotage is no longer camouflage. Almost in the open, so you better quit your jobs. Can't say it looks too good. It could be a mirage pointed at your head. I think it's time to dodge. Forever's a long time to pay that kind of price. I'm back to the beginning, got no time to second guess And yes, I'm easily impressed The ways you do confess Control the situations by the moves inside your dress But I gotta go, got nothing left to say What time is the show, I can't anyone say I gotta go, got no more time today Tomorrow is a long, long time from today Tomorrow is a long, long time from today Tomorrow is a long, long time from today Okay. And write a review. And stay strong. And uh, send a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. All righty. Don't be a stranger. What are you rushing out of here for? I'm not. Where are you going to go? I have nowhere. You want to go to the comedy cellar and see if Artie's there? Let's do that. Do you want to do that? Maybe. I don't know. All right. All right. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Airplane just passed me by, and I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad, want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had, and my shadows get. Suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever